God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it is your word. God, that you breathe these words out and they are here before us. And so God, we wanna hear from you. God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would penetrate our hearts. God, we believe that this book is unlike any other book. God, it is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us understanding, Lord, to be able to discern the meaning of this text, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we conclude our short sermon series that we've been in over the last couple of weeks titled, Come, Let Us Worship. And we've been in this sermon series looking at the purpose of corporate worship. Why do we do what we do on Sundays? Why do we experience all of the different elements that we experience as we gather together in worship? And part of the reason why we chose this sermon series is I just wanted to remind us that when we gather together on Sundays, it is unlike any other assembly of people. That what we do here on Sundays is different than a a group of people gathering for a sporting event or a group of people gathering for a concert or a play or or even a, a family gathering. But as the people of God, when we gather under the banner of Jesus, we are exercising a kingdom authority. This is a a foretaste of God's people gathering together in the new heavens and the new earth. And so what we do here on Sundays should be countercultural. Like what we do here should be a little bit weird, if I can say that here. That this should be unlike anything else that we experience throughout the week. Listen to this uh, quote by uh, James Smith, who uses a really helpful analogy in talking about corporate worship. He says this, it says, worship needs to be inviting, but at the same time, it should be inviting seekers into the church and its unique story and language. That worship should be an occasion of cross-cultural hospitality. Consider an analogy. When I travel to France, I hope to be made to feel welcome. However, I don't expect my French hosts to become Americans in order to make me feel at home. I don't expect them to start speaking English, ordering pizza, talking about the New York Yankees, and so on. Indeed, if I wanted that, I would have just stayed home. Instead, what I'm hoping for is to be welcomed into their unique French culture. That's why I've come to France in the first place. And I know that this will take some work on my part. I'm expecting things to be different. Indeed, I'm looking for just this difference. Then he says, so also I think with hospitable worship, that seekers are looking for something our culture can't provide. That many don't want a religious version of what they can already get in the mall. They are looking for elements of transcendence and challenge that MTV could never give them. Rather than an MTV eyes version of the gospel, they are searching for the mysterious practices of the ancient gospel. I agree with that. That what we do here should have a little bit of strangeness in what we experience. And what I want us to see this morning is that the preaching of God's word from a book that's over 2,000 years old is one of the most countercultural practices that we as the people of God can actually do, that there's nothing quite like the preaching of God's word. It's, it's in fact, one of the, the weirdest things that we do. In fact, if you asked a, a non-Christian, someone who's not a follower of Jesus, in fact, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, and I asked you, what, what is the weirdest thing 
that, that takes place on Sunday morning at a church. I, I would almost bet you that non-Christians would say, besides the, uh, the sometimes awkward meet and greet, they would probably say the, the preaching of God's word. They would say it's, it's a little bit odd when you have people who are willing to sit under someone who is preaching from a book that is so outdated, someone who is preaching something and calling for someone to change their life. They, they'd probably say, I get, I get singing. Like, I understand that. I, I understand even praying, but, but preaching can be quite odd. And so since we'll be talking about preaching today and the role of preaching, the aim of preaching, and what it means to listen to God's word, I want to just provide a definition of what I mean by preaching. I'll be borrowing from John Piper here. Uh, my understanding of preaching, I can sum it up in two words. It's expository exaltation. Expository meaning that preaching involves the, the laying out of the meaning of the text. It's explaining what the text says. It's allowing the Bible to drive the message. Exaltation, meaning that this is worship, that there's worship going on from the preacher as I explain the text, and there's worship going on from those who are hearing. That is preaching, expository exaltation. Now, the question that our passage here this morning will help us answer is, why should we center our gatherings around the preaching of God's word? Why do we dedicate so much time to the preaching from this book? Paul's going to help answer that question for us. Now, 2 Timothy is a letter in which Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy with the aim of passing the ministry baton to him, that he wants Timothy to be focused on how to best shepherd the people of God. And Paul has already commanded Timothy throughout this letter with some really important assignments. Chapter 1, verse 6, he has commanded Timothy to fan into flame the gift God has given him. Chapter 1, verse 8, he has commanded Timothy to share in the suffering for the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2, he's commanded Timothy to engage in discipleship, to entrust to faithful men the good deposit. He's told him to pursue godliness, to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And yet in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul gives Timothy a command in which he is to build his entire ministry around, that Paul is telling Timothy to preach the word. Now, everything around this command brings a sobering ur urgency and a weight to the task of preaching. And yet I find what Paul says here very helpful. Paul doesn't just tell Timothy to preach the word, but Paul also shows three different aspects about preaching that makes this task very weighty. And we're going to look at these three aspects here today. The first aspect related to preaching is the authority of faithful preaching. The authority of faithful preaching. Secondly, we'll look at the aim of faithful preaching. What's faithful preaching meant to do? And then last, we'll look at the attributes of faithful preaching, the attributes of faithful preaching. So authority, aim, and attributes. Here is number one, the authority of faithful preaching. Chapter three, verses 14 through 16, that Paul grounds and roots the nature of the scriptures in exactly what the scriptures are. Look at verse 16 here. Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
Okay, now before Paul gives Timothy this central command in chapter four, verse two, to preach the word, he first makes a statement about the word that not only gives the Bible its authority, but also gives faithful preaching its authority. And in so doing, Paul answers the question, why preach from the Bible? Why, why the Bible every time that the people of God gather? Now notice what Paul says about the word. Paul says that this word that I'm about to command you to preach not only works, it's not only profitable, but the word of God is breathed out by the living God. That's, that's a bizarre statement. Like if you haven't grown up in church your whole life and, and you're hearing that for the first time, like that's a really weird thing to say about the Bible. What does Paul mean when he says that the word of God is, is breathed out by God? Well, it means that when you read the Bible, whether you're by yourself individually or when the Bible is read on church on Sundays or when it's preached and done faithfully and accurately, you are hearing the voice of God. Not just hearing about God, but you are hearing from God. Now, hearing the voice of God, this, this idea rests on the foundation of what the Bible says about itself. It is breathed out by God, that the Bible is inspired. Not just that it's inspiring, although that's, that's probably true, but inspired as in the breathing out of the word of God, the expired breath of God. God has spoken, and here is the word in front of us, just as in God spoke and the world came into existence, that God breathed out the word of God in a similar way that when you and I speak, and when you and I say things and we form consonants and vowels in our mouths and it, and it comes out, it's being pushed out through our own breath. And so in the same way that when God spoke and he breathed out, the word of God came to be. Now what this means is, again, not only when you read the Bible by yourself, are you hearing directly from God, but even in the preaching the, the closer and closer that the preaching becomes to, to a correct interpretation, the more that that preaching moves from just it being about God or it being for God, but it moves into preaching exactly as what God would say as the mouthpiece for God. That Paul kind of unpacks this in, in another passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, verse 13. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What Paul is saying here that as he explained the word of God to the people at Thessalonica, it wasn't from a word from man, but it was directly from God, the word of God. Now, the reformers in the 1500s picked up on this idea as well, that Martin Luther put it this way. He said that people generally think that if I had an opportunity to hear God speak in person, I would run my feet bloody. But you now have the word of God in church, and this is God's word as surely as if God himself were speaking to you. And what Martin Luther is saying here, and I'm sure what we have said from time to time, is if only God would just speak to me audibly, 
If only I could just hear God, then I would be all in for the gospel. I would go wherever God would want me to go. I would run my feet bloody. And yet what Martin Luther is saying here is that every time you open up this book and read from God's word, and every time God's word is being preached faithfully and accurately, you are hearing directly from God. Martin Luther elsewhere said that the apostles did not need to write. They were to preach and shout the gospel, that the New Testament church was to be not a penthouse, but a mouth house for God. That what we do here in the preaching of God's word is we are proclaiming what God has to say to us. And so the authority of preaching, because it's rooted in the authority of the Bible, the very words breathed out by God, it's not tied to the personality of the preacher. It's not tied to the amount of experience that the preacher has. The authority of the preaching is not tied up in, in the creativity of, of sermon outlines, although I've been trying to alliterate my sermon outlines more and more for you. It's not tied up to, to how powerful a sermon illustration is, but the authority of the Bible and the reason why the word of God works is because this book is the very words of God from his mouth. And when they are explained accurately, faithfully, in a true manner, it is God speaking to your heart with authority. Now, this is why faithful preaching is so important. This is why we approach the text, whether in preaching God's word or in your own time with, with the Lord or in small group, you shouldn't approach the word thinking, what do I want this book to mean? What, what do I want the text to say? What, what's my interpretation of it? Well, what's your interpretation of it? Well, what do you think this means? It's not what do you think, it's what is God saying here? That we approach the Bible first and foremost asking the question, what is the author's original intent? Like, what is the author saying to the audience with whom he is writing? And we take that, and then we ask a follow-up question. What does it mean for us in our current context in the 21st century? And, and understanding that, we are approaching the text on the text terms, not on our terms, that we're not trying to force our meaning and our interpretation upon the Bible, we are saying, what is God saying rather than what do I want it to say? Christopher Ash, who wrote a really helpful book called The Priority of Preaching, and also he wrote this book called Listen Up, which I, I highly recommend. It talks about the, the discipline of, of listening to preaching with a worshipful posture. He has a really um, important quote here about interpreting scripture and listening to the word. He says that, we live in a culture where everyone has their say, where I can press the interactive buttons and register my view on television, where I can set up a blog and proclaim my views on anything and everything to the world, where the friendliest thing we can say in welcoming newcomers is, we want to know what you think, but dare I say it, God does not want to know what we think. He wants us to know what he thinks. And look, that, that is what preaching aims to do, that we want to know what is God saying, not our own understanding of what he is saying. Look, this is why we are committed here at College Park Church to a, a biblical model of ministry, that we believe that the normal preaching diet here at this church is expository preaching, that we wanna know what God thinks 
And we believe that God has revealed himself through this Bible, through his word, verse by verse and book by book. That we believe that we know God in as much as we know the Bible. So my question for you is, do you come here on Sundays with the expectation, not that you want to hear and know about God, but do you come here wanting to hear from God and his word? Do you come here with the expectation that God has a specific word or specific words for you each and every time that we gather? In fact, each and every time that you open up the Bible, God is speaking directly to your hearts. Mom and dad, parents, do do you model this reality to your kids? Do you treat the Bible as the very words of God or do you just treat it as a moral guidebook? That we need to understand that the authority of the Bible shapes and forms the authority of faithful preaching. Look, the fact that my primary role here is to dedicate myself to the scriptures, that to prepare rigorously to be an instrument to explain the word of God to this local congregation is an unbelievable privilege. Like this is a a tremendous weight. It's also a joyful burden. And one of the best gifts that you can give to me, that you can give to this church is by regularly praying for me regularly praying for for the preaching of God's word to be grounded in the authority of the Bible and not in personality. So Paul is helping Timothy know and understand that the authority lies in the book. Number two, Paul also helps Timothy know the aim of faithful preaching. Paul wants Timothy to know that there is a, a particular aim that God has when the word of God is preached. In other words, when Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, that the word of God will not come back void, but will accomplish its purpose, what is it talking about there? What is God's word meant to do when it's being preached? Well, faithful preaching is meant to both explain what the Bible means, but also to result in exaltation, both in the preacher and in the hearers. That the aim of preaching is not just for you to have more head knowledge, but it's for your hearts to be stirred and your affections to grow for God in worship and in awe and in white hot passion for God in worship. Look, theologically, we know that to be true. Like we know that God wants his people to worship him. We know that God wants his people to ascribe to him glory. And so if that is true, then the aim of the Bible and the aim of faithful preaching is to participate in the worship of God, both in the preacher and in the listeners. It's for you to be enamored with what God has said and with what God is saying. Now, Paul warns Timothy in chapter four, verses three and four, that there will come a day in which people do not agree to that aim of preaching. There's coming a day in which people no longer want to hear from God, but they want to hear whatever will feed their own passions and their own desires. Look at chapter four, verses three and four. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, look, I I know that we're a College Park church, and I know that we are heavy on the preaching of God's word. One of our core values is the authority of the word. 
But I just wanna ask you today, in what ways can verses three and four kind of trickle into your heart? Where on Sundays, instead of wanting to hear from God, you want to hear whatever you want to hear. That, that maybe you don't wander off into myths. Maybe you don't run away from the truth of God. But in what ways do you kind of want your ears tickled on Sunday to, to maybe reaffirm the way that you're living and not, not to be confronted with the word of God? That maybe in some way, as you're hearing the word of God preach, you're, you're wondering, do, do I like this? Instead of, is this what God is saying and how can I respond in worship? See, the aim of preaching, the purpose of preaching, that as we gather on a weekly basis is to come together and to exalt the glory of God seen in the word of God so that the power of the spirit of God might lift our eyes off of ourselves and our own passions and onto God and his glory. A faithful preaching is waging war against chapter four, verses three and four. Because look, we all struggle with that. Like I, I struggle with verses three and four. Like when I'm, when I'm listening to sermons, like I'm tempted to what my own ears itched. I wanna hear what I wanna hear. I, I wanna hear preaching that, that makes me feel good instead of allowing the word of God to confront me. And yet the aim of faithful preaching is not to comfort you and make you feel good about yourself. The aim of faithful preaching is to get your eyes off of yourself and onto the God who is worthy of your praise and worship. Love how John Piper unpacks this. He says that the good tidings of the preacher, the peace and salvation that he publishes are boiled down to one sentence, your God reigns that the great design of a Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men. Look, that, that's part of my job. That's part of my job is to look at the text and point to it and say, your God reigns, that God is king, that God is faithful, that God is soul satisfying. A part of my job is, is to help facilitate the word of God so that the, the dominion of God fills the space so much that the spirit of God might break into your heart and rip off the idols that are on the throne of your heart. It's part of my role is to point to the text and say, look, God is the only king. He is the only true God. And is, that is meant to confront the sin that might be in your heart and my own Heart. So this means that my job is not just to explain what the text means. The devil can do that. But my job is to both explain what the text means in such a way that it causes my heart and your heart to exult over what the Bible is saying. That preaching does not just come after worship in the order of service, but preaching is worship. And listening is a form of worship as well. That, that's one of the main differences between a sermon and a lecture. So the aim of faithful preaching, what I try to do each and every week is not to make you feel comfortable, not, not for you to walk out of here kind of staring at yourself, but to help you look up at God. That my prayer each and every week is for you to walk out of this room and not say, what a great sermon, but for you to walk out of this room saying, what a great God that we have. And that is the aim of preaching.
Number three here, Paul also helps Timothy understand attributes of faithful preaching. Not only the authority, not only the aim, but he kind of describes what faithful preaching is and what it does in this passage. There are all kinds of attributes throughout the Bible about faithful preaching, but I wanna point out just three attributes here that Paul lays out for young Timothy. Notice, number one, that faithful preaching includes urgency. Faithful preaching includes urgency. Look at chapter four, verse one. Now remember, this is right before the central command in chapter four, verse two. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. He says all of that. And then in verse two, he says, preach the word. And I believe what Paul is doing here is he is trying to intensify this wonderful command in chapter four, verse two, by showing the urgency that Timothy needs to demonstrate in this great task. And he does throw with, he does so in verse one by providing these five qualifiers of why we need to preach with urgency. Let me point out uh, each of the, the five here. Notice he begins, he says, I charge you, or some translations might have, I solemnly charge you. This brings kind of the the gravity and the weight to the command to preach the word. Number two, notice that Paul uh, says that he makes this charge to preach the word in the presence of God. This was a, a favorite expression to make an assertion and an oath which to call upon God. Number three, Paul says that he makes this charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So now we have God the Father and God the Son who have a great concern over the matter of preaching the word. And then number four, he says that Christ Jesus is the one who judges the living and the dead. So now Paul brings in the judgment of God in the matter of preaching. That preaching involves the eternal judgment of Christ. This is a life or death activity. That preaching has the ability to lead someone to salvation. And then fifthly, he says, and by his appearing and his kingdom, that he's reminding Timothy here of the, of the future where Timothy will stand before the appearance of God in his kingdom to give an account based on his ministry of preaching. And Paul says all of that to urge Timothy to take this role seriously. And Paul wants Timothy to know that there is so much at stake within preaching, that souls can be saved, that sanctification can be furthered, that marriages can be restored, temptations can be curved, desires can be recaptured for God's glory, that worship can be given to God, that the preaching of God is a big deal. In fact, he goes on to say in verse two, to be ready in season and out of season. To young Timothy, to preachers, be ready when preaching is popular and when it's unpopular. This urgency and this weighty task demands proper preparation, that I'm not just winging it up here every single week. I'm not trying to be flippant with God's word, but this is a serious task that the Lord has given me, and I will stand before the Lord to give an account based on what is said from the pulpit. I love what Richard, Richard Baxter said. He said that I preached as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men that there should be an urgency in the preaching of God's word. Number two here, faithful preaching is about experiencing a person. It's about experiencing 
a person, namely Jesus. Look at verse, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice here that Paul says, through the sacred writings, referring to the scriptures, we are able to know Jesus for salvation. That reading and hearing the word is able to make you wise or or help you see Jesus, help you understand your need for salvation by faith in him. That scriptures don't just make you wise for wisdom's sake, but the scriptures give us wisdom in order to connect us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so if the scriptures are meant to do this, then, then faithful preaching is meant to do this. That faithful preaching is meant to connect you to the person of Jesus, not just for you to accumulate more information or more head knowledge. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees in John chapter five, verse 39? He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, look, you think that these scriptures are just for more head knowledge. They're not. They actually point to me. That's why they are here. In Luke chapter 24, one of my, one of my favorite passages of Jesus, and this is after the resurrection, as Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, he's, he's talking to these, these two individuals, and they're on this seven-mile walk. And verse 27 of Luke 24 says that Jesus explains how the scriptures point to him. Now, I would love to be kind of a fly on on the camel there just to hear how Jesus like unpacked all of the Old Testament scriptures and how they pointed to him. And then it says that these two individuals, their hearts were enlightened and they recognized that this is actually Jesus talking before us and then Jesus just vanishes. And then after that, the two guys say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as Jesus taught us the scriptures. Like, I love that. Like, that's what Jesus' teaching did for them. And if that's what Jesus' teaching did, then that is what faithful preaching should imitate. That preaching should point you to the beauty and the glory of Jesus so that the result is that your hearts burn within you for Jesus. Like, your hearts on Sunday should be craving, just give me Jesus. Your hearts should not only be craving show me something I don't already know or teach me something I don't already know or show me the deep stuff or, or explain it to me in the, what, what the first century meaning is or, or show me some of the Greek words. It, it shouldn't just be screaming that. It should also be screaming, make Jesus glorious. Make him big. Make him beautiful. Shine a light on the amazingness of who Christ actually is. Look, that's what preaching should be about. Bob Goff says that when we study somebody without getting to know them, it's called stalking. He says that Jesus is is getting creeped out because we keep stalking him without actually communing with him. And look, I I don't wanna preach sermons that are detached from Jesus. I, I I don't want us to be stalking Jesus. I want us to be communing with Jesus 
as I explain the meaning of the text. Look, every week, man, I, I feel like I fail as a preacher if I'm not pointing to the beauty and the glory of Jesus and his wonderful work on the cross that he has accomplished our salvation. Look, I, I don't wanna preach sermons that, that would be true in a Jewish synagogue. I don't wanna preach sermons where I, I remove Jesus from the Bible. I wanna preach sermons that are anchored and centered on the beauty of Jesus. You know, when I go on dates with my wife, I, I don't sit down at the, at the table with her at the restaurant. I, I don't ask Lindsay, hey, Lindsay, tell me something that I don't already know about you. Or t- tell me the deep things about your life. I, I don't treat her like a, like a textbook. I, I treat her like a person. I, I pursue her heart. That's how I get to know her. And I, I think in the same way, we need to be reminded that the Bible is ultimately about the person that this book points to, that we should be wanting to know and connect with the person and the work of Jesus, not just accumulating more head knowledge. Number three, faithful preaching aims at life change. It aims at life change. At verse two, Paul unpacks for Timothy what preaching of the word looks like. That he says in verse two, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now the words here, reprove and rebuke and exhort, they refer to what preaching should be doing in the listeners. The preaching should reprove or, or correct, that it should rebuke or, or shine a light on the wrong path. It should exhort, it should implore, it should urge, it should at times bring comfort. So what Paul is doing here with these words is he's describing that the word of God should ultimately change us, that we should be transformed by the preaching of God's word. Because when the word of God, the very breathed out words of God, when they fall upon our hearts, we should never remain the same. That the word of God, what Hebrews 4 describes as living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it has the ability to discern the intentions of the heart. When that word is articulated and explained and unpacked, its intended goal is to make you uncomfortable. Its goal is, is to change you. It's to point out inconsistencies in your life. It's to exhort you to repent of sin. It's to expose the the gap between the demands God has for your life and how you are currently living. It's to exhort you by the power of the Spirit to change. And so if I'm being faithful with the text, then each week for 40 minutes, there should be a conversation going on between God and your heart where God is showing you areas that you need to change, where God is pointing out for you what, what mindsets or ways of thinking need to be altered, what kind of desires need to change, how you're currently living, where you need to repent and turn. That the response of, of faithful preaching should be the same response in Acts chapter two, verse 37, where you have Peter's famous uh, sermon at Pentecost, one of his best sermons ever. And yet the crowd responded in chapter two, verse 37 to the sermon. They say, now when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's what faithful preaching should lead to. It should lead to life change. 
Now, one of the things that, that I'm trying to focus on more and more, I'm trying to grow in this, is when I preach, I, I wanna have a cardiological aim to my sermons. I just made up a word for you. But I wanna, I wanna target the heart. Like, I wanna, I wanna get beneath the surface and appeal to your conscience and allow the word to work on that basis. I don't wanna hover over the, the external or the surface. I wanna get underneath and understand how the word connects to our hearts and allow the word to do the work. Like, you need to know that the enemy does not care if you're here on Sundays. He doesn't care if you are here faithfully each and every week. He doesn't care if you feel convicted or stirred by a sermon, but our enemy trembles when you hear the word of God being preached and you actually live by what it is saying. So faithful preaching is about living and responding to the word. Now, as we close today, I just wanna give you four statements about faithful listening. Okay, so we've been talking about faithful preaching. Let me give you four quick statements about faithful listening to close here today. Number one, faithful listening values the, the power of God over personality. Values the power of God over personality. That, what I mean by that is no matter who is preaching, no matter where you are when the Bible is being preached, if the Bible is being preached with accuracy and with faithfulness, then the word of God will be at work in your hearts. So no matter if you're here on Sundays here in this room or if you're back in the children's wing and you're hearing the word of God being preached faithfully, the, word, the, the power of God is at work in your life. So I wanna encourage you, it, it's okay to ask questions after the sermon when, when you're at lunch, kind of uh, talking about the sermon, asking questions like, was the sermon engaging? Or how, how were the sermon illustrations? What, was Chris funny today? Like, like those are okay questions to ask, but only after you ask the question, was the preaching faithful? Was the preaching true? Was the preaching clear? Because the word of God works through the power of God, not through personality. Number two, faithful listening prioritizes what you need to hear over what you want to hear. Like this is a big one. This, this demands humility. This demands having the posture of walking in here on Sundays, asking God the question, God, what needs to change about my life? Speak to me. God, what, what would you have for me? That you almost walk in here on Sundays preparing for a surgery rather than a massage. Like you're, you're wanting God to, to perform a work in and through your heart that, that might be uncomfortable, but the result will be that you are healthier and that you walk out of here transformed rather than just puffed up feeling better about yourself. And so prioritizing what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Number three is that faithful listening is worship. I just wanna encourage you, don't, don't turn off the worship button when Tim exits the stage here and I come on. That preaching and listening to word, this is this is. Worship, just encourage you to, to participate in the listening of God's word, however comfortable you are with that. Look, taking notes, totally okay. Like giving me some head nods, like that, that's okay. That, that helps me, that, that helps me know that you're engaged and that you're listening to the voice of God. Look, if you wanna give a hearty amen, like 
I'm good with that. You wanna say preach it? Like I'm, that encourages me and that spurs me on. Like it always makes me feel a little uncomfortable when it's really quiet out there. I have no idea what you're thinking. And so I just continue to preach on and trust the Lord to work, but, but participate in the listening of God's word, that your posture says a lot, even in the listening of what God has for you. And so engage and worship as you're hearing from the voice of God. This also means even in the preaching of God's word, you should be asking the question, is this true? Look, just because you might know me, just because I've been to seminary, just because I wear jeans here on Sunday does not necessarily mean that I'm gonna preach this word with 100% accuracy. Like my goal is, and, and, I, and I pray and I hope, that's why I study so rigorously, but you should be evaluating everything that is said against the word of God. Is this true? Is this accurate? And, and, and you as a person in this church, you have a responsibility to do that. Like one of, the, one of the ways that I felt most loved when I first got here my first couple sermons preaching, Bill Armstrong uh, emailed me and he asked me out for coffee. And, and I knew Bill, I had a couple meetings with him before I knew that he was for me, he wasn't against me. And, and he asked me a question about the sermon from the previous Sunday. And, and he wanted me to unpack it and to explain it because he brought up another verse that, that was, it wasn't in full alignment with it. And I felt so loved by that. I was like, here is a dear brother who doesn't care about my acceptance of him, but he cares about the validity of God's word and it being preached because he wants to hear the voice of God on Sundays, not just my personal opinion. And so like, you, you have a responsibility to worship as you listen to making sure that what is being said is true. And that's not just for me, but that's when you listen to your favorite podcasts or in small groups, or when you're hearing the word of God being talked about and being preached. Now, the last one here. Faithful listening results in faithful living. That if you're coming here and you're just being puffed up with knowledge and what you're being communicated with is not impacting your Monday, it's not impacting your Tuesday or your Wednesday or throughout the rest of the week, there is a gap in your worship as you listen Look, throughout this, ser this sermon series, we've talked about the purpose of corporate worship is to rehearse the gospel and to respond to the gospel. This is a significant way that you respond to the gospel is that you apply what the word of God says. And to close this morning, I just wanna read James chapter one, verses 22 through 25. It says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away that once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. College Park, let's be that kind of church where the preaching, yes, is a powerful mingling of gravity and gladness, of exposition and exaltation, that when we gather and we hear from God, it should create a desire for more, more of what? More of God. And yet let's be a people who walk out of here each and every week, not saying what a great sermon, but who are saying what a great God. Let's go and live this word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, it just, 
It should stun us, God, that we have the privilege of having the Bible in our possession each and every day and each and every week that we gather. God, we know that many around the world, they don't have that same privilege. And so God, I pray that you would arrest our hearts with the reality that when we read the Bible, it is you speaking directly to our hearts. So God, help us to be a people who crave your word, God, who yearn for it, and yet who more importantly are people who are doers of your word. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus, amen.